Welcome to another Kundalini Conversation. My guests today are from the Kundalini Collective. We have Alan and Samir. Welcome, Hi. guys. Thanks so much for joining me today. Hi. Thanks for having us. Oh, you're so welcome. I'm really excited for our conversation. So for those who aren't familiar with the Kundalini Collective, um, you're an online organization, also has some um, in-person meetings uh, with the intention to support those going through Kundalini Awakening. And so on your channel, you've got uh, some podcasts with uh, some pretty pretty well-known uh, figures in the, in the Kundalini support space. I saw you at an interview with Craig Holiday, with Mukti, who of course is uh, Adyashanti's wife. As well, uh, you've got a community online where people can, uh, can go to seek out support uh, in the midst of their Kundalini process. Now, Alan, Samir, together, they've got years and years of experience with Kundalini that we're going to get into today. Alan had, uh, uh, you know, you might call a, a spiritual emergency or, or a crisis, which we'll get into. Samir's journey took him around the world. Uh, it seems he was was led intuitively by the Kundalini itself. So we're going to dive into these uh, these interesting journeys. We'll get uh, Alan, Samir to share some of your the challenges you faced, uh, the solutions you found. And of course, we'll we'll dive into more about what the Kundalini Collective Initiative is all about, how people can connect with you and and contribute and benefit from uh, what you've got going on. So why don't we start today with uh, you sharing a little bit of uh, an overview of, of the Kundalini Collective, how it began, what's going on there, where it's going. Uh, Alan, Samir, whoever would like to, uh, you know, Share, share about the Kundalini Collective, please. Feel free. I can start with some history, uh, and maybe Smith could then fill in the details. Um, I guess the history was back in 2016, when I had my Kundalini Awakening, um, I was desperately looking for, for su support. I had a vague idea what was happening to me, but there was no support. And um, then um, there's a guy in London who, who supposedly supported three people through Kundalini Awakening, and I suggested to him that he'd started a peer support group, which he did in 2017, which is um, where myself and um, Samir met. And there were a few sessions, um, but they weren't particularly consistent. And, and myself and Samir had conversations and we thought um, maybe we could do something better, <laughs> better basically. Um, and uh, we also both of us independently had um, connection with, with Bonnie Greenwell um, doing her um, I did a couple of her courses which um, online courses which were very good um, and we mentioned to Bonnie that we were wanting to start this so the idea this is before COVID the idea was really very very sort of small scale to, to know to, to meet people face to face um just to meet others who are going through the Kundalini process um and the idea um would be to, uh, an informal support group um and um bonnie sent um contact details obviously with people's permission um to samir and then in 2018 we had our first face-to-face -face meet up in London. Um, to me, well, there's four or five of us, I can't, can't remember now, something like that. Um, and it, then it, um, 
very much, we had a number of face-to-face meetups, um, which are great. Each time it's, it's, it's fantastic meeting other people um, going through the process. And then COVID happened and the meetups went online. And then it's really, I think so, so much of the credit, <laughs> to be honest, is, is with Samir. I've been I think, seeing myself more this, in a supportive sense in a way because some of the most significant developments we've had have been through Samir. And um, so we were, the people coming to the face-to-face meetups and the Zoom, we were communicating by email. But um, Samir had the idea of developing a website, which could be um, sort of a a centre, sort of a crux for, for community. And maybe I should then pass over to Samir. But one other thing to say is that we were both very much believed in in the power of peer support, that we can learn off and support each other. But over to Samir. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Hi, Brent, and thanks for having us. Um, I think uh, Alan's story is correct. And uh, I guess the thing that I would say is that I had an awakening in 2006 and for 11 years, my Kundalini steered me well away from any people with Kundalini. I, I might have read about them and I may have read some forums, but I, something in me just said, just, just go through this on your own. And then around 2017, that's when, uh, as Alan said, we met because someone had advertised on a group Kundalini London meetup. And I thought, okay, now I feel ready to meet some people. And um, it just felt like when I met with Alan, I I, I felt we connected and and. Uh, just something sparked at that moment and it felt that we should having a physical meetup uh, there is a sense of a greater kind of awareness of something happening in a group setting with people who have Kundalini together and so you know many forums online are quite American orientated but um, you know we live I live in London Alan's in Oxford and we wanted to meet people in the UK we didn't even know where there were that many people and because I was in contact with Bonnie Greenwell by then, I asked her, the late Bonnie Greenwell, and um, she she sent me, she thought it was a great idea, and she sent me the details after asking permission of people who lived in the UK and Ireland. And we started a physical meetup, and as Alan said, there were four people at the first meetup. And it was it was great, it was interesting, and it was, it was weird because we had a pizza in a, in, a, in a pizza place in London. It wasn't like, it's not like we, in the meetup that Alan, I mean, Alan, the guy hosting it, would have meditations and other things. It just didn't feel right. When we had a pizza, we talked, and it was like a normal, a normal meeting amongst people who have a similar interest. And then what became obvious was the normality of Kundalini amongst people we just meet. They come from all walks of life, all classes, all social settings, and there's something that joins us together, which is this kind of awareness of something else in our lives that's guiding us, a guiding force. But other than that, you know, we're just normal, normal people living normal lives. And in 2020, during COVID, I just felt that it wasn't sustainable to do this with an email group. And I had the time and I never made it, made a website in my life. I just, again, it's, you know, I, I feel guided all the time. I just, I just felt guided to make a website and it kind of worked, you know, it's, it's working. One of, and one of the ethos, as Alan says, is both Alan and myself have a, and we, we're not fans of hierarchies. I, I mean, I, that's historically I never have been, but I think my Kundalini 
awakening process made me understand that hierarchical structures don't make any sense, not anymore. And the whole point of the Kundalini Collective is it's a collective. And, and, Alan, and Alan brings a more political sense. I mean, like, we're both political in different ways, but Alan has a kind of background in this, just how to work with groups and how to give ownership and agency to people within a group, how to not create structures of hierarchy. And it, it might be a bit more difficult for people because we don't, you know, nobody is a guru, but everyone is a guide to each other, whether you're new or whether you're old in the process. And I think we kind of believe in the wisdom of crowds. So when we have a meeting, we let everyone speak and everyone has a chance to say something, but also everyone can give advice to everyone else. We just try to guide that structure. Um, and it seems to work, you know, other people have different structures and and what we try and do is we just try and allow people to be themselves. And I think one of the best things about having this online and offline meetup, we meet in Hyde Park in London once every couple of months. And there's a feeling um, of there is a there is no, there are normal people going through a normal process with normal lives. And the idea of the spiritual becomes more grounded when we meet. And it gives credence to the idea that something real is happening, because obviously if you're going through this alone, you can read about it and you can feel something's going on, but because no one around you validates your experience, it can create a kind of cognitive dissonance. Whereas when you meet people who are going through it and they're normal and they're all saying the same thing, you begin to realize, okay, well, this is real. Um, and we're not living in a psychosis. Now that's obvious, but it begins to eliminate the idea that there's, you know, that this is not right. No, there's something real is happening. Um, and so, you know, so three years after after the website last year, I think we began podcasts. And um, the other thing I'd say about running, you know, the, the his, history, of, you know, when you, the history of the community, there's something about, you know, a collective as opposed to an in, individual and a collective awakening. And so, when you feel into the energy of a collective, and you know, I use the word feel into, uh, literally, as in, I can feel into the energy. There's something bigger happening. I don't know exactly what's going on, but it feels like there is a collective awakening happening. And we're not the only group, you know, I want to give a shout out to When Lightning Strikes, who are friends of ours, who have their own group going on, Gordon and Kate. And there are probably other groups that happen that we, we don't know about, but, you know, these are all part of a collective awakening. Um, social structures that are being created naturally, but also probably in the bigger sense, um, um, serendipitously, because something bigger is happening. And um, and it allows people to to share wisdom and knowledge of their own individual journey, but within a group setting, and that knowledge is shared. But people don't create hierarchical structures, and so nobody's nobody you know nobody's above someone else. And so you own your energy when you speak or when you share. You're not projecting it. We try to avoid projection uh, of, of 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 energy to somebody else to elevate them. So I think I think that's probably. I don't know, Alan, if there's anything else you want to share about. It sounds quite boring, doesn't it? <laughs> Not at all. I, mean, I think just the other thing to add, um, it's just really just adding to what Samira was saying there. Um, yeah, we definitely, definitely don't want any projections going on. Um, and also, um, you know, when, when you start a project, um, there's one or two people need to take initiative and, and get it get, get it going and set parameters now we have a you know we have a code of conduct which i think is really important which is that we're all offering our views not, none of us have a, a monopoly of any kind of reality or no we we, we we offer um our views and what helps us personally um 
<clears throat> but the other thing to say is that we've done it in a way to, and it's, this is happening more and more now, to open it up so that um, there are, I think, eight of us now who meet um, every other every other month and sort of plan what we're doing and, and different people are taking on different roles. So with the um, Zoom meetings, which are now monthly, someone else actually organises those, not not us. Um, there are, there's a group of five or six of us who, who take it in turns to do the facilitation. So, so it's not just about Samir and myself and, um, you know, one day perhaps we'll we'll go on to something else or whatever. But the, the idea would be that the, 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 the collective itself is running itself. So it's, it's not about us. It's, it's really about the collective and it's about connecting people together. Um, I think that's, that's the essence of it. Um, yes, um, a self-sustaining structure or system. I think I think that's that's what we want to create. Um, I can't see us running it forever. I don't think I'd want to, nor, nor does Alan. But it feels like something to create to, and, and let it begin to sustain itself and then move on. Uh, yeah, just one one thing to add from my from my heart chakra. Um, I think this is the case in the face face meetups, but also on the Zoom. Um, now there's, I think there's, there's a lot of just connection and love between people. It sounds a bit hippy dippy, but there, there is, um, and um, and that just feels you know, such a powerful um, positive. You know that that natural warmth. Um, just recently, well, actually, it was back in April. Actually, we had a face to face meetup in London, and I think there were ten people there. Um, most of those people hadn't met each other before because we're very open. We encourage new members. We encourage um, new members' involvement. Um, and there was just this immediate communication between people and immediately people were having conversations, really quite profound, open conversations, um, which felt really, really very special. Um, so it's, um, it's been very enjoyable um, being involved in this as well. That's, that's the other thing I'd like to say. It's been, it's been, it's been fun as well. Great, incredible. Yeah, many themes have come up so far in your overview of the history and and the uh, the intention uh, behind the Kundalini Collective. Um, the timelines seem to line up very similarly to me as well. I began doing this work just before COVID, and I had a, a small meditation group um, at my friend's yoga studio. COVID happened, and it all went online. And I was able to connect with so many more people around the world. And I think we share a very similar, if not the same ethos. I like to say I'm not the final word on this. This is why I have people like yourselves on to talk and to share from your experience and wisdom. And maybe we have different experiences, different ideas, different perspectives, and that's okay. I don't think anybody uh, really knows everything about this process but we all have a piece for each other in some way. And it seems that's the same sort of thing unfolding with uh, with what you've got going on with the Kundalini Collective. I especially like um, on your code of conduct in, in your meetings, you invite people to recognize that there are no absolutes. And I think you even give an example and you say, you know, if you want to share something, try and say, hey, in my opinion or in my experience or I believe as opposed to coming across as, you know, like uh, you have the answers because that, I, I think we've moved, we're moving very quickly beyond that sort of paradigm. 
um, where we're recognizing that we can come together in the ways that you've described and uh, benefit from one another and not have a sort of hierarchy. And I mean, you mentioned when lightning strikes, I see the same timeline with their organization as well and the same ethos as well. So it seems that something is orchestrating, uh, you know, these little uh, pockets uh, developing around the world. Do you think that there's like a higher intelligence guiding us all in, in a synergistic way? Um, I mean, I, I, I would try and answer that. Obviously, it's a subjective opinion. I think that um, I think there's a collect. I think there's a collective consciousness. I think I think you know, going back to Jung and his idea of, of these of, the, of a collective. I think you know, in my in my Kundalini experience, I've had moments of connection with that collective, and and there's a there's a sense of a oneness and a sense of a of a not of a non dual space, and in in that space there's a new structure and i think that structure is being brought down to people so people have people have a moment of epiphany with that with that space and then they come back and they bring something of that structure back with them and uh that new structure is no longer hierarchical it's not it's not a pyramid it's not a tetrahedron it's something it's a, it's a new shape being formed and in that shape um people are allowed to to, to create a position they're allowed to create uh like to act a position let's say take on a persona and they can move and they can take on another persona so and and people move fluidically with each other so there's a new structure being created we're, we're allowed to be who we want to be and then we can change to be someone else and i think that requires a new language a new way of approaching each other a new way of communicating with each other a new way a new relationship where we're no longer tied to one way of being so in terms of your answer this higher consciousness what I, I would say yes, in, in the sense that the Earth is a consciousness, or the universe is a consciousness, and it's continually changing and shifting, and we have aspects of ourselves connected with that. And when when we have that kind of non-dual awareness or, or, or experience of oneness, we're connecting with it, and we may just experience bliss, but we're not actually just experiencing bliss. We're probably getting some kind of sense of of a new a, a, a new system, and we come down back to, to to Earth literally, and then we have to kind of live. We start realizing we're slightly different and we work in a different way because we've brought something back and i think so it sounds like you did this and, and kate and gordon have done it and many others and they're working in different places that are, I don't, we don't know who they are but they might be working in aerospace or in governments or in medicine and they're probably bringing something back so something's going on and, and i guess people like us are creating the connections between different people um which will grow and grow and grow over the next few years and I mean, just to add to that, I mean, um, I believe <laughs> um, that, that, that we are all part of the one consciousness. Um, and I think what's been happening with the Kundalini Collective, and I think probably you know the other groups as well, is that in a way, rather than acting out of a sense of ego, so somehow planning ahead, projecting to the future, um, I think what's been happening is that um we've been allowing um uh i don't know it's, it's, uh, I, I feel uncomfortable about talking about a higher but we, we'll, um but we've been allowing consciousness will be a, a, to come through us mm. um rather than being ego driven so it's been totally organic we haven't really planned anything to be honest um and i think that because 
so on that level, uh, it feels that, that other groups are perhaps coming from the same, you know, that coming through, you know, it's coming through us, and we all are, in my mind, you know, we are part of this consciousness. So it's not surprising as we're part of the one consciousness that there's a common factor. Um, and yeah, so yeah, that's that, that would be my answer to your, to your question. Yeah, great. Um... I, I completely agree. We're we're bringing something forth. Um, I like the way you described uh, Samir in in different fields as well. Obviously, it's very apparent, you know, when you're organizing a Kundalini uh, group or uh, you know peer support group, it's very obvious. But it must be happening in other spheres as well, um, under different context, different terminology, and so on. Interesting. I think we'll we'll. We'll start to see more and more of these um, groups emerging. Um, so, peer support, the support of a community. Um, Samir, I know you mentioned early on in your journey, you felt, you know, to be rather, um, you know, to yourself, which I think is a valuable time on the path for us all. Um, but eventually, you were called out to, uh, you know, start connecting with others. And Alan, as well, from what I know of your story, um, you know, maybe you sought help or people tried to help and didn't understand what was going on with you. So why don't we explore a little bit about your, your uh, well, Alan, it looks like you're lagging a little bit. So we'll, we'll actually go over to Samir. Samir, why don't you tell us a little bit about your awakening process? Um, in particular, this period where you were felt to kind of you know, figure it out on your own a little bit. Um, I believe you mentioned, you know, you were traveling the world. Can you can you talk a little bit about uh, that phase of your life? Yeah, so so uh, my awakening process happened in March 2006. Um, and at the time, uh, there wasn't much on the internet about, there was stuff on the internet about Kundalini, but the word Kundalini wasn't pre prevalent. And I wasn't coming from a world where, where Kundalini was prevalent, although my parents knew what it was and I'm from a Hindi background. Um, so I was quite shocked because um, I had a spontaneous movement and spontaneous pranayama and I wasn't sure what's was going on. Um, so I mean, do you want me to tell you about the the process of what happened or is there anything particular you want to know about or just a general? Well, I think for our audience, they, can you explain a little bit about what led up to this spontaneous pranayama, what yeah. that experience was like for you? Because I feel there's a yeah. lot of people having spontaneous experiences and they're just confused. So if you can give them a something. Yeah, well, so I don't think Kundalini happens overnight. I think there's a lifetime process. I mean, when you retrospectively look back, you realize that you've probably been preparing for it for a long time. So there was that moment of awakening. But I think before I get to that, what I would say is that um, I went, you know, my background is uh, uh, you know, Asian parents in the UK, maybe somewhere in Canada, you go for it, you know, they want you to they work hard, send you to good school, send you to good university, want you to work and make money. So I had that background and um, I did economics at a one university. I, I went, I worked in the city and um, something was definitely making me feel unhappy. And I felt like this is, this doesn't feel right. Um, and um, I had a background. I used to DJ a lot back in, back then, and I used to love music and I used to love the creative arts. And I felt I was being pushed into a world I didn't like, and I was working in the in finance. And um, so there was this time when I was extremely unhappy, and, and now I recognize it as depression. 
but I didn't know it. And there was no discussion in my family. You know, men don't get depressed. Men work, they make money. They don't share their emotions. And if you have a good job, you should just be happy that you have a good job and you're making an income. So I was in this world where I was extremely sad, extremely depressed, but I didn't know I was depressed. I didn't know I was allowed to be depressed. I didn't know I could even talk about it. Uh, and so I managed to figure out a way of getting out of that world. And and I really thought, okay, I want to work in the music industry. And so I, I, my finance background helped me get into the music business world. And, um, and then from music business into film finance. And I really did think, oh, this should make me happy. I should be really happy that I'm now working in a world where I'm I'm in the entertainment industry. And actually, I was still extremely unhappy. And something, something didn't feel right. There was this uh, aching pain in my heart that I was never really connected to. I could feel something heavy there. And so there was this period of time, you, know, you can work it out as 10 years. It's from university to the world of work, and nothing felt right. And I can look back at that. 10 year period and call it a long night diet of this a long dark night of the soul which ended in 2006 with the Kundalini awakening and near the end of that long dark night of the soul uh, I wasn't listening to my heart and my body and what happened was I got extremely severe sciatica so my L5 uh, S1 left side was always aching and always giving me warnings you should watch out but the lifestyle I was living because I was I was wasn't able to connect with my emotions just stopped me from really acknowledging that that not that I was not just I wasn't happy that I was just on the wrong path that whatever I was being driven by even though it was now in the entertainment world was I wasn't happy so the sciatica was so severe I was I wasn't able to walk I actually was laid flat and I think this is the, this is the this is the beginning of something your body's telling you something if your body's telling you to lay flat it's giving you the opportunity to think and it, and I was I turned 30 during that time and what happened was I was thinking, well, I can't walk, you know, I can't work. I'm a man. I'm, you know, something's not working for me. I'm not happy. I'm sad. And I'm in so much pain, so much physical pain. And I, and it suddenly occurred to me, it occurred to me through a series of, of synchronistic uh, experiences before the Kundalini about six months before, that actually probably what's happening was that, um, but that my emo that something about my emotion, my sadness that is tied to my my back pain, and and I did not know before then that you could store your emotions in your body, and that back pain can be linked to emotions. And when I had that realization, and I connected the two, that my emotion and my back pain was probably linked, I suddenly realized, oh my god, there's something going on here, and my my back began to slowly get better enough for me to at least walk. And I thought I really need to clear space in my life and understand there's something going on. And so a couple of things that I decided to do was one, study NLP or life coaching. Two, uh, um, uh, and then and at some point do yoga or meditation. And then and then life coaching, the NLP part of life coaching was really useful because it helped me ask me myself questions without giving me an answer. So it, it, the idea is with NLP is that you don't, everyone has the answer in them. You just have to set, sit, write a series of questions. And when you, answer the questions you're actually looking at yourself and I was doing it to myself and then I thought okay I'll try meditation and I tried meditation and that night I went, I went home and I, I did a meditation at home and I had this math this had this blue light in my forehead and something happened and then um, I began to over the next few days uh, start doing spontaneous movements 
my hands moving over my chakras, and, and then slowly my fingers started doing spontaneous mudras, when they still do continuously. My feet were moving in an Indian dance pattern style, which without any background in this world, I was, the weird thing was I wasn't scared. I actually realized on, on some level, my heart was telling me, this is what you've been waiting for. It doesn't make any sense and you could be crazy, but actually this is what you've been waiting for. So I went with it. And the first couple of weeks, my, it worked to my sciatica. So although I was able to walk, I was still in a lot of pain. And it put me through all these postures every night where, and it was unbelievable for me because I was watching me push out this pain that was crazy. It was horrible pain. And um, so I knew something good was happening because even if nobody around, I didn't tell anyone at the time, but I obviously I thought, well, I'm going to go with this because something good is happening. And um, because I didn't have any, any, I didn't uh, have any kind of friends in the spiritual world, so and I didn't have many many friends that my friends were doctors or bankers or working in middle class industry so so what I did was I there's somebody that I knew I think who she told me oh you should she was into the spiritual stuff so she said go and see this person um and maybe they can help you know what it is what's going through and the person I saw um didn't mention Kundalini but said oh I've read in a book once about spontaneous movement and it was a book by a lady called Elizabeth Hike the book's called Initiation and I think this, this is, again, serendipity. I'm glad I went to this book first rather than the book about Kundalini because it was, it was, a, it was a, a German lady who's, who passed away. And in the 1930s, she was studying yoga in Germany and she had memories of a past life in Egypt. And she wrote about these memories of past life in Egypt. The one thing that the Egyptians did, apparently, was they did a form of spontaneous yoga. And, and their idea, they didn't use the word Kundalini, but they talked about, they talked about the higher self. And that everyone has a higher self and the egyptians were learning how to combine the higher self in them in themselves in the pyramids using the well animal like this using using the uh the tomb in the pyramid they would they it would actually it would give them a birth uh and bring the higher self into them and it gave me a structure to understand what was going on so it wasn't kundalini it wasn't the hindu tantra just then but it was a structure where i felt okay there's a higher self and the higher self is guiding me and then after a few months, I came across, again, through the internet, the word Kundalini and, and the idea of spontaneous yoga, spontaneous mudras. And by the way, I wasn't just doing spontaneous yoga, I was doing spontaneous Qigong. And there was a spontaneous Qigong instructor in New Zealand who helped me as well. So there were all these movements happening and it was helping my back. And um, because that was the, the major problem in my life, this really painful back problem, I was really happy and I also felt that I had some kind of connection with something more and I was going with it and I felt this kind of energy. Now I, I can stop there or I can carry on. It's up to you. Well, fascinating story so far. Many interesting uh, lines that you shared there. You know, I think you said it felt right. So I just kept going with it. Um, intuitively, you knew this is what you've been wanting, uh, even though you didn't know exactly what it was. All, all clear signs that this is not a process coming to victimize us. It's coming to help us. And deep down, I think we know this. Yeah. Part of my intention is to, if I can just take people from feeling like they've been cursed by Kundalini to just getting a little bit of a sense of empowerment, that's my intention. I think your story so far is a great example of how uh, you know, intuitively you knew this was working out for you. And then, of course, serendipity was bringing you uh to more more information so why don't you keep going for us yeah so so I, I, you know 
it's not all it's not all great there is there of is course. a massive, couple of massive crashes where, where I, I i regret everything mm-hmm. and curse continually for a year or so but but before that happens they were you know i i did realize that um I, I realized it was real i mean i realized it was real because in fact something you know, there was a sense that i've been waiting for this my waiting for this my whole life and the long dark night of the soul you know when when you're um when you're going through it, it wasn't like I was going through it and ignoring it. I was processing something through through that ten year ten years, realizing that I, I was allowed. I think what I did during that ten year process before Kundalini was that I was I wasn't running away from my emotions. I allowed myself to feel pain. So depre- I felt real pain, real depression, real sadness, and I wouldn't run away from it. And then that, I can now look back at that time and realize I was process. I was allowing myself to process stuff, although I wasn't in therapy. Um, I was allowing myself to go into quite dark places uh, and not and not project it out onto people. So so there was a sense that I was doing some kind of work on myself. Now it was inefficient, it wasn't healthy. Um, I think a lot, you know, a lot of I, like many people at the time going clubbing, I was taking MDMA. And there were a lot of come come downs. And but the come downs would have this profound depressive effect that I wouldn't run away from it. I'd analyze it and go into it, I'd allow myself to feel it. Mm-hmm. so i do think there was a so so you know i'm not advocating taking anything i'm just saying that allowing myself to feel i had a massive block emotional block and i spent many years allowing myself to feel the pain so when i went into the kundalini some it felt like a graduation from that it didn't feel like a i did feel like i was waiting for something to happen and i, I had no idea it would be this but then there's a big there's a big but here I threw myself into the process like wholeheartedly. I made it the full part of my life. And in doing so, I, I think I invited a lot of energy to come in. And I think that made me ungrounded um, because this, when you combine spontaneous movements in the way that I was doing it, and I suddenly got into crystals and, you know, I would have made fun of somebody who looked, who liked crystals the year before, but suddenly I was buying crystals and, and I would hold them in my hand and I was doing spontaneous movement with the crystals and, and I felt I had to, I could open layers and layers and layers of my energy. And I was getting this sense of this cognitive sense and kinesthetic sense of energy, which I still have. I can feel the energy and work through it. And I could feel it get almost open up portals and dimensions around me. And now, you know, no, obviously no teacher. I didn't know what I was doing. I was going, throwing myself in, throwing myself into it. And it went really far, really fast. And I began to have really cosmic experiences and also um experiences which which one would say is a bit like madness but it, it wasn't madness because it was guiding me it was like a, it was a there was you know i was let's say I, ha- I had i had voices guiding me to do things which was very scary but it was a, it was a process so i think i went too far too fast um well or at least i went very quickly uh which i would never recommend and so it opened stuff in me and i, I began to have lots of cosmic experiences lots of intuitions and some of it was very, very, very scary. Some of it was, uh, and, and it wasn't, it was such that I wasn't able to speak about it. If I did try to speak about it, my mouth would shut. So it was all in my head. So, so I, I'm also saying that it was really difficult, but the process, I began to understand there was a logic to the process. And, and if I surrendered to it, and surrender is a word I'll come back to again and again, even in the hell that I was in, that it was teaching me something about about the way that I related to the world around me, and one of the big things I was telling Alan about this weekend was that I'm not in control. I've never been in control. Uh, the most intelligent part of me is my body, 
and the part that I think I that I am, my body's telling me, no, you're not, you're just a speck. And your body is much more powerful than you are. Um, and the spontaneous movement is an example of it because you're giving over your your agency to 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 your body. Your body is working through your, you know, the part of your system that's blocked, and the part of the system that blocked is who I think I am. So ultimately I'm eradicating myself. And that's what I realized quite early on that my body is showing me that very soon I will die. Or I won't die in a in a in like a like a death that people have. I'll, I'll die a sense of self over and over and over again. And so th there were there were moments of real sadness and grief that that's what I'd given myself over to. And there were moments of of profound joy and understanding that actually this is what I've been waiting for my whole life. And it was a very difficult balance to to to, to, to go through and um i was working in, i was still working in the film industry and i was producing a film uh which didn't get made, made in the end but but so i had work relationships i was going through this profound experience and i had family relationships and what the process began to do was help me understand how every choice i made family business even choice of film subjects was related to my karma the way that I looked at the world and the 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 suffering that I that was driving my my consciousness. So I wasn't driven by joy or love, but ultimately that, that my direction up to that point was driven by by let's call it pain. But I was let's say upset with my father and so competing with him and ma making him trying to be successful and making him that was my way of making him proud of me. But that was not being driven by joy has been driven by pain. And so I created this world around me that every option that I that I created was a aspect of my suffering. And that yeah. I had to view it from the point of love and the point of suffering and understand they're both the same. And then go to every single relationship in my life, understand the joy and the pain, and then collapse it into nothing and reset my whole life. Mm. And it was extremely difficult. Yeah, so so um, it was really, really, so, so I, you know, there's this moment of where you realize that when you're not in control and that you are, you've given yourself over to this force, that actually, um, yeah, and, and you realize this, there's a, there, there's a ontological shock, you know, you are no longer who you think you are and the world around you has completely changed and you could be, you could be delusional and psychotic, but it doesn't matter because you have no control over your body anyway. And so that that was that was the first year, and there, you know there I had I think you know um, I had other types of awakening in the year two. So I had an experience in the Sinai Peninsula in Egypt, you know, in, near near opposite, you know, on the, near the Red Sea. Very very uh, cosmic experience that I was you know I feel I was, I was led to, uh, and then I I had this download that took me a couple of years to to understand, and I felt taken around the world, went to Brazil, Colombia, Easter Island, Australia, India. I lived in, in my partner's Egyptian. I lived in, in Cairo for, for six months. And I felt drawn to all these different places to just ground myself from that, just that first experience. And then um, having this very kind of cosmic experience in, in Egypt where, where all I felt was that I am, that there's a, 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 a super conscious planet and that you can merge yourself with it. When you merge yourself with it, there's, you realize the ecosystem, everything is, is interlinked. You know, you know, there is a, 
there is there, there is no inherent self, as the Buddhists will say. So when you come back from that, the challenge is, is that you have to face real life. I, I felt that everything that prepared me for the experience in Egypt, so I went through this kind of dissolution myself, connected with, with a kind of oneness, but then I had to live in real life. And I, I, it was a really difficult time because having to, 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 to come back from that space and interact with people means that you, it's, it's difficult to sustain yourself in both perspectives, a kind of non-dual perspective and, and a perspective of people around you who are not living in that way. And I and I hadn't done the work on myself. You know, I, I wasn't. You know, perhaps I, you know, perhaps I had too much cosmic experience to begin with, and I had never done any spiritual work on myself. So I crashed, and I began to have all these intuitions about life, and I was taken around the world, and I think that grounded me. So so something said, okay, well, you know, you now have to spend a couple of years living on your own with a notebook in different parts of the world and, and you'll be guided to different places and the, and the energy of that place will just ground you so you can just come back from that experience and when you and then when i came back so 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 year two and year three was traveling around the world li li living in different places just trying to re understand what i just experienced in the first couple of years and trying to live with myself because it was very difficult to understand who i was because i kind of lost some of myself and then i might have, a, I have an amazing partner who's who's i'm with now who i was with then and she really helped she, she's not a kundalini person uh but she's the most amazing kind of person who kind of held me in some way and, and her energy helped me and i really believe in that in that male female connection and i think that really helped uh and i was able to over a couple of years and spending some time with her in egypt just ground myself from those experiences so that i was able to interact with England and London again and my family and other people and I, I was getting these, these downloads to create a set of tarot cards which I still haven't really worked out what they're for but it was some kind of expression of my experience a kind of a kind of mandala like 64 symbols or 128 symbols that, that I can see around me and they work symbolically um, and that was uh, I'm still working it out you know 16 years later but it was like an ex I had an experience that I'm still trying to even now understand but I can understand it in, in 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 visual ways and in symbolic ways so it was really so I'm, I'm just talking about the challenge was just trying to ground it and then come back and live a real life have a family work my family and then the weird thing was is, is that when I came back to London and I felt ready to come back to London and face my family because they're like what have I been doing for the last couple of years we thought you were crazy and taking drugs and and you know Kundalini can happen to you because you're not an ascetic uh, yogi preps you know so all these things and I realized and the last couple of months before I came back to London I just, I was being grounded and then my heart opened up and it said you need to be there for your family the last your whole life you've been running away from them now you need to be there for them and you have to work through all of your issues with them so that you can be with them over the next few years and that's when I started the real work you know that's when I started the proper work this proper, you know working through my shadow why do I don't want to be my parents why don't why, why do i not want to be my sisters why do i not want to look after them and the rest of the, a lot of the next few years was just working through the really grounded part that one should do to begin with all the work on your shadow and your family members and and your friends and just working out why you pain and why you suffer and why you hurt so um those first three years were strangely revert they're, they're quite cosmic but they were, they were given to me before I'd done any real work on myself. 
So even though I had all this all these experiences, they were pointless because I hadn't done any work on on, on myself first. And I, and the years after that, that's when I did the real hard family shadow real life work. But because I'd been through this Kundalini awakening, um, I had a sense on how to navigate that process that, that I didn't I would never have had had I not gone through that first three years. And even though it was quite difficult, and I was facing a dad who said that you're a failure and um, a mom that I couldn't quite connect with properly. I realized that I could get through this and I had love for them and that I was able to 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 hold space for myself and them because the awakening process had allowed me to, to enter into my heart space and and find confidence in that space. So that's the first thing. There's a lot more happened after that, but I'll, I'll just end there. And I'll just say, you no, know, so it, it was, it you know, I threw myself into it, maybe a bit too hard, and then I suffered and I crashed. And I also, you know, say, I think I had a bit of an ego. Having all of that energy go through me, I felt special. Uh, and also the Kundalini, you know, okay, feel special for five minutes and then I'll, then you'll crash. And then you'll realize that you can't do anything. So, so all of that was quite healthy in a way. It was, it was a, it was a healthy process to really burn my ego, and to bring me back to earth. And and the Kundalini guided me to say, well, now do what you do, do your duty to your family, and and enjoy it as well. Don't just do it because you hate because you feel you have to. Do it because you want to. And that was a really opening thing, and that's probably the best thing that, that ever happened to me. Sorry, my life's falling. That's probably the best thing about the Kundalini. It brought me my family, and uh, my father passed away a few years ago. I would never have had a relationship with him uh, had I not had gone through this process. And that's the biggest gift it's ever given me. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for, for sharing so openly about that. Um, you know, I guess you could say somewhat short segment of your journey, but so many themes yeah. came out um, in those few years that you mentioned. Um, yeah. couple, a, a lot of similarities between our journeys. Like you, I began with... Looking back, what was depression? I didn't know it was depression. Um, just felt sad. And you said something really, really powerful there, which was that you didn't resist those emotions. You just let them be there. And that was part of your work to process things out by just not necessarily running for them, avoiding them, just letting them be there leading up to the awakening. I had a similar experience as well because I think I didn't know that it was depression there wasn't a label on it. And so therefore there wasn't any uh, invalidation of the depression or invalidation of the experience or resistance. I would just, this is what I am. This is how I'm feeling. And so this is how I feel. And I think that was like you, part of the purging process. A lot of key themes are coming up in your, in your telling uh, about integration. Of course you had, you know, cosmic experiences, mystical experiences, but you mentioned the word grounding. You mentioned the word integration, merging the higher self with, you know, what we would call the, the maybe the human self. Um, so very key, uh, key themes of integration there. And I'm just pointing them out because that's it's just so important. We can have all the mystical experiences in the world, but they don't mean anything if if we're not able to, you know, have our feet on the ground. And finally, your theme there about the shadow work, in particular with your relationships. Uh, I, I have at a very, very similar phase as well, where I recognized that I will be doing some work, sharing, supporting others going through the process. 
But I said, how can I do that if in my own house, my things aren't in order, my relationships are a mess, can't connect with people. I've got to address my most immediate circle before you know, trying to support a more wider community. And that really is where the rubber meets the road in terms of spiritual practice. Um, very difficult work as well. But like you said, so rewarding. And I, I appreciate you for highlighting those themes because, um, yeah, on the spiritual path, our, our family can become like a, you know, uh, we can start to see that maybe in some respects, you might feel that they're in the way or, oh, you know, I've moved beyond them. I've, I've um, you know, I'm awakened, they're asleep. You know, I, I think we're we're in the family units that we're given for a very good reason. And, and, and it's to uh, support us with, uh, you know, processing some of our karma. So thank, thanks so much for sharing that, that portion of your journey. Um, maybe we'll, we'll shift gears and explore Alan's journey. Um, so Samir, you know, you mentioned, you know, your family might have thought you were crazy. Um, you mentioned having to ground yourself. You mentioned that you crashed. These are all things that seem to emerge for many that go through what we'd call a spiritual emergence or a spiritual crisis. Um, and of course, Alan, for you, I, I know from your story, which is on the, the Kundalini Collective's YouTube channel, um, you know, you've got a really well-filmed, well-produced uh, telling of your story out in nature. It's great. I invite everybody to check it out. Um, but, but Alan, let us know about the period where you felt, or maybe others labeled you as having something wrong with you as you started to go through your, your process. How did it begin? What, what kind of well, difficulty did you face? By the way, um, Samir did that, did that film in the, uh, in Hyde Park. Oh, great. Smears work. That's why it's so good. Um, okay, well, I think to answer your question, I'm going to have to go back a bit, bit further. Um, and um, so I'm going to go back. I'm going to back to being a child. And um, from from a very young age, from around five years old, I knew there's far more to life than met the eye. And um, I had experiences. So, for instance, when I was seven. I was sitting around the meal table with you know, my parents, my brothers, and, and, and uh, my best friend when I was seven, and uh, it must be about 10 people, whatever, like, like that. And I had this experience where, where I got ahead of time. <laughs> so basically, it lasted for a couple of minutes or so. I knew exactly what my dad was going to say. And then I knew after he'd said something, oh, now, now my friend Mark will say this, and then mum will say something. And I just sat there and watched everyone going around the table saying exactly what I knew they were going to say. I don't know, it's like I just got it ahead of time. And so that was further evidence to me that there was a lot more to life than met the eye. And um, also, I used to think about what, no, what is reality, what's life about a lot. And, it's, and when I thought really hard, I would get this high-pitched noise in my ear, in my ears. And then I realised I could think myself to the edge of my words and reality, I could go beyond that. But then I would get very scared um, and stop. And I would think of something very boring and bring myself down. Um, and then when I was 12, I had the experience of seeing the light. And um, and, and basically th throughout my life, every few years, I've had a premonition or had that kind of experience. Um, but um, I've had to keep it to myself to start to try to answer your question um 
I shared it with one of my brothers. We shared a bedroom together. He's three years younger than me. When I saw the light, he was there, and I told him the next morning this had happened. And um, so I'm, I did share some of it, but I couldn't share that with my other brothers or my parents or anyone at school. Um, I was I was aware that of playing a role. You know, at school I was quite good at football. I could get on with people, but it was actually really just playing a role. Um, so. Um, this has always been, I think basically, when I look, when I look back now, the, the Kundalini was always bubbling under, basically. Um, but because of the way society is, um, I, did, wasn't having, I didn't have any trouble with these experiences, by the way. They were all great, and they all reminded me there was more to life than met the eye, which was really good. Um, so it wasn't, they weren't problematic in any way. But in our society, it's very hard to, to, to share those experiences. Um, then fast forward to the Kundalini awakening. Um, so the, the question is, how how did that did I relate to the family? So was that sorry? Uh, off. No, no, that's okay. Well, we can touch upon that for sure. But um, let us know about you know what we might call the spiritual crisis or the spiritual emergency, and the difficulty that ar that arose as you. Uh, you know, began to experience, you know, these sorts of heightened states of consciousness, non-ordinary states, energy, that sort of thing. Well, um, what happened back in, so I've always had those experiences. Um, it's a quite good, quite profound premonitions and so forth. Never a problem. Then in 2015, I was going through this weird state of anxiety. Um, it's sort of, I was, I've been made redundant, which is actually great to be with because I walked to, to Santiago through France. I went away for two months and walked to Santiago, the pilgrimage route, which is a brilliant experience, but came back, I couldn't get a job. And then I remember sitting with my daughter at a cinema watching this film, and suddenly I had this wave of anxiety came over me. It was very physical. Um, and this anxiety um, became so great, I found it very hard to function. Um, and um, around this time, um, I always used to do this particular meditation, um, which is um, um, which is an active meditation. Um, it's um, it's it's a sort of a, a ritual that's based on Western Hermetic stuff, which is really good. Um, and I, I did that, mixed it with um, Reiki because I was I was taught up to level two Reiki. And then I woke up, I had this incredible vivid dream in the night where I was seeing Buddha and just below Buddha's some navel, there's all this energy was building up and the dream sort of sped up, sped up, sped up, sped up. And I was seeing firing colors and stuff. And I woke up and the, this, the energy, this energy was coming up and I recognized it as being Kundalini, but I thought, oh, I don't, I didn't know much about Kundalini. All I knew was enough to be scared because, oh no, how can I handle this? And it only came up, came up to my stomach as I was able to push it back down again. And um, then I stopped doing all those meditations. I stopped doing raking myself and sort of forgot about it. And actually things settled down for a while. Um, I got some work and um, whatever. Uh, but then ironically, this is um, the end of 2016, so a year later, I got really busy at work, <laughs> so more than I could actually cope, really, really, really. This was supervising social work students and doing a bit of community work, because community work's my back work background. Um, 
and I was getting super anxious again. But I realised that although superficially this anxiety was about, about work, I realised actually it wasn't really. Um, when I was young, um, uh, well, all my childhood really, from seven, well, definitely from seven to 16, my mum was seriously ill. She had very bad postnatal depression, um, and which became bipolar disorder. Um, so she was mainly, a lot of times, she, she, she was so depressed she, she couldn't get out of bed. That's that's the, the main manifestation. But a couple of times, you know, she went manic and she had to be, well, she's literally cut it off in a straitjacket to, um, to hospital then. But I mean, luckily, we were ready well off, so we had people that could, could look after the children. Um, but anyway, what I realised was, you know, when you're a child, you, you know, you just cope with these experiences and you actually you push your emotions down. And so it was like, you know, imagine like a, a well with lots of water in it, but it'd been concreted over to mm. keep the water down. And I realised what was happening, the concrete was cracking. And th these anxieties were really the anxieties I felt as a child, but I had suppressed. And... Anyway, this really good friend of mine um, uh, recommended this, this acupuncturist who'd, who'd helped um, his partner with anxiety. And um, so I'm not sure if I'm answering your question. I've just all got off. No, no, it. that's okay. Um, Get, but, um, you're giving some context. Keep it, going. Yeah, yeah. And she put, she put these you know, the needles in me and it's a massive amount of energy. It's incredible. And I explained my theory about you know, the childhood trauma and she felt around, she said, she felt these knots. Yes, that makes a lot of sense. And then over what she said actually was two hours. She um, put in um, needles and th then this, this energy, I forgot all about the Kundalini and this energy was rising, coming further and further up over time. And I had some visions of my childhood and whatever. And, um, and, and then it got up to about here, up to my eyes. And then I, I could see, basically, by that stage, I was in this sort of vision where I could see all these clouds, like a William Blake painting. And in the middle of the clouds, you could see sort of golden light the other side. And gradually, the clouds started to thin in a circular pattern because the golden light was burning the cloud until suddenly the clouds, the clouds in the middle are gone. And then the energy just went whoosh right the way through me. And um, for 24 hours, I was in a state of bliss and I could see everything was connected. I could see colours, colours were incredibly vivid. Um, and I, I remember ringing up my brother saying, you must see this acupuncturist because I know he was having problems with anxiety at the time and saying, well, this, no, she's, this is fantastic, everything's, everything's gone. Um, and then of course what happened 24, hour, 24 hours later, the energy just, I felt it switched in my stomach. And suddenly all the anxiety came up, but magnified. And then energy kept coming up, getting stuck in my head. It's like a thousand watts through a no, 40 watt light bulb. And I, I ended up curling up in the, in the living room with all that going on. Um, and I'll cut this, I'll make this story shorter because there's other things that happened. Um, but basically I got to the stage and it's interesting. This, I think this is a common theme. Um, in the sense, I thought I was dying. And I sat on the edge of my bed at home for two days, uh, waiting to die. And I wasn't 
answering the phone or the, or the um, door, but eventually these friends were knocking on the door and I did let them in and I explained to them that I was dying. Um, they also realised something was up. Um, and anyway, mental health services came and um, it ended up with me. I thought I, was, I should be going to the general hospital, but they drove past the general hospital and took me to a psychiatric hospital, um, which it's... And then I remember going to bed there um, and um, thinking, well, I won't wake up tomorrow. But I did. And then really was... Then there was the secondary trauma of being in the clutches of mental health services began. Um, my family, well, actually, my, was aware of this. Um, both my parents died quite a long time ago. Um, but my older brother came up to Oxford where I lived and tried to help. And um, and I, I wasn't easy to handle because because um, I was totally ungrounded. And um, no, but he did his best. But, but eventually went you know, back to his home. Um, but um, I don't know what to say now, but the, the, the well, a really good thing, by the way, uh, about St. Gratian to the family is that my daughter, who was at the time just 16, uh, but her and her mum, you know, myself and her mum, had, had, no, we weren't together, but we got on very well. Um, her mum just had been doing Kundalini yoga and which is obviously not that related, but they were very, they were open to what was happening to me. And that was really helpful that neither my daughter or her mum um, stigmatised what, what was happening to me. They actually had some understanding. Um, but um, the, it's very difficult going through the mental health services because um, mental health approaches in, you know, in the UK, I'm sure in, in Canada as well, um, tend to be, they represent the society in the sense everything, the, the societal attitudes of, of being materialistic. So they only see the person as almost like a machine and the only real tool in their box are drugs. So I was I was fed, so nasty, well force fed, may I, may I add, um, so, so no, nasty, nasty sort of anti-psychiatric, anti no, um, uh, anti-psychotic drugs um, and really pathologized um, and I was given a, a label of psychotic psychotic depression, <laughs> which is ironic because I was never depressed, funny enough. I was very, very anxious, but I was never depressed, which they never recognised. Even when I was discharged six months later, they said that they wouldn't recognise. Well, Alan sees himself as being having been anxious, but no, but no he had a serious depression. Um, but the, the one good thing was there was that um, I actually had a really... Um, so as it would seem, quite classic heart chakra opening. Um, I was hearing this really fantastic celestial flute music. <laughs> but I, at least when they asked me, was I, was I seeing or hearing things? I said no, because I knew that if I had said, yes, I'm hearing this fantastic, <laughs> so, um, they would give me a, um, they would give me um, a schizophrenia label if I'd said that. And the lucky thing was, that I sort sort of knew what was happening to me, and so I had that frame of reference. And there will be many people, I think, over you know, who would have had a Kundalini like a difficult initial Kundalini awakening, like myself, who would have got those negative um, labels, 
And the trouble with those negative labels, if you start to actually internalize them, you can start to be them. Um, but the good, good thing was that I did have um, um, a more positive view of what was happening to me. Um, but it was very difficult. It was really very difficult. And I think that sense of um, dying is, 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 is really an ego, a self, you know, your sense of self actually in that moment dying. Um, and in that sense, it's, it's actually really positive. <laughs> well, it's really positive. So um, I feel a bit bad here because I'm painting such a negative um, picture of the experience. But, um, and I did see it as a curse to begin with. I really did. Um, and in a way that my whole life fell to pieces because I, uh, I love playing music. I couldn't play music. I love running. I couldn't, I could hardly walk physically. I could hardly walk down the road. Um, it had that, um, and I love spending time with friends. But I could, I could hardly communicate. So it was very difficult. Um, but, um, it did settle down in, in three three months or so, it started to settle down. And after about six months, I was able to function. Uh, but my going back to the question about the family, um, apart from my daughter and her mum, my, my three brothers and their partners um, saw it all as psychosis, which is obviously what the, the hospital um, were telling them. Um, and they did, they, you know, they, they did their real, really, they did their best to be supportive. Um, and I mean, and si since then, I really don't talk about it to my, to my brothers, except for one brother. He's more, you know, he, he, you know he's aware of the Kundalini Collective and so forth, but otherwise it's not something really um, is mentioned. Um, but I talk about it openly to the daughter and her, and uh, her mum and her, her daughter thinks it's great. <laughs> so my daughter thinks it thinks it's great, and um, so which is obviously which is great. And, and so I, I think I'm stopping. <laughs> have yeah. I? I haven't really answered your questions. No, Brent. no, you have, you have. Thank you. Um, yeah, some a lot of interesting themes come up there. Wanting to die, and you know, I guess in hindsight, you see that it's the death of the self not, or, or not feeling wanting, not wanting feeling like you're going to die yes yes my thanks for correcting me there very important distinction there thinking that you're going to die and that's of course the feeling of the impending death and rebirth process right um uh the death of the psychological self as well did you experience something like uh like what we could make call no self that type, type of thing well no i mean i think in in Samir's um, awakening, um, correct me if I'm wrong here, Samir. But no, Samir no, saw was everything and nothing. I mean, my experience on on a was not at that at that level of such. So when I could see that everything was one, I was still the observer. Mm -hmm. So I I didn't lo lose that sense of observing though so i had a real sense of not knowing that i'm not myself even though um and that, the interesting thing there for me is i've always had an intellectual understanding that so always um i did i was a young person i went to university and i studied sociology which i, which I loved as a subject and you get micro sociology 
And in micro sociology, you look at the construction reality. And so, um, it, so you see that the self doesn't inherit, well, this is a Buddhist term, but doesn't inherently exist. In sociological terms, the self is created by the interaction with the world around the self, and then we become the self. So intellectually, for many years, I've, I've known I'm not myself. I'm, but what the Kundalini Awakening has done, it, it has shown that experientially rather right. than intellectually. And there's one particular time, this is actually about a few years ago now, now about three years ago, where I woke up one morning, I actually sat at my computer, um, sat at where I'm sitting now, and I, I realised, I'm, well, I'm definitely not Alan Falks. I, I realised I was just part of the consciousness, and it's almost like I could look into the corner of the room and see Alan Falks. He was not a bad bloke, he was all right, but um, I wasn't him, but I could, I could see him, I had some sympathy for him, but I was definitely just really part of the consciousness. Um, so that's as near as I've got to that kind of perception um, of, of reality. Right. Right. I think we all have uh, a, a different maybe version of it, of those types of experiences, if we do at all. But in the end, like Samir was saying, it, it comes down to integration and returning back to the world. Um, I think it's interesting that uh, your daughter and her mother both, uh, you know, were aware of Kundalini and didn't stigmatize you. I think that's that's yeah. uh, important to highlight there because not everybody experiences that type of grace. And, you know, they are, you know, alone and some are put through the hospital system. And, and I like the term that you say, said there, which was secondary trauma. Mm. Um, can you talk a little bit about the environment? What can you say about the environment there? And how supportive that could be for a person going through a spiritual awakening. For, for a start, I mean, the you know the, the hospital services in in the UK have been starved of finance, especially since two thousand and ten. Um, so the state of the ward was really poor. So I was in this room, which actually was like a cell, and I had no cupboard. I had a bed, which is like a really no, it wasn't a very comfortable bed, uh, but that was it. So I had to put my clothes on the on the like the windows side, um, uh, or, or on the floor. Um, it was a really no, just a, and then also because I was having so much energy, um, and also I've always been a runner. I just wanted to run. Now once I I went through a stage where I couldn't move, but once I actually <laughs> gone through that stage, I just wanted to run. Well, it was a locked ward. Um, there was a little exercise, small little exercise yard um, attached to the ward. You were only out, allowed out there every four or five hours for half an hour. So what I would do, do I would go and run round and round and round this, this, this yard to try to get, you know, um, it, it was horrible. And the staff, when you're in that state, you're, you're very sensitive to people. So there were actually a couple, so there were two, two members of staff, um, one a, a basic grade untrained nurse, and another who was an occupational therapist. And they, they were great. They, could, they, they obviously cared. They didn't patronise me. 
and that was really positive. But there are other staff who are really quite arrogant and quite quite bullying. Um, and then there were staff who were just just there and neutral. Um, but it's a very oppressive environment. I was not allowed a mobile phone. Uh, someone I know um, who's a, who was a social worker, because I, I did work in social work for a while before doing community work. Um, he, you know, he, he said to me when he came to visit that uh, he had visited people in prison. He was a very good, good guy. And he said trying to get to visit me was harder than visiting people in prison. The, uh, um, there was no communication, so we weren't allowed mobile phones. Um, there was a ward phone, which is broken. Um, and the only phone there was was in the, the, the office. Um, anyway, so it and the, you know, yeah, after a week or so, you were, yeah, you were allowed to go out with someone walking around around you. Um, because, but you get the picture, it's incredibly oppressive. Um, and you were treated totally pathologically. I was trying to, I, 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 I realised quite quickly, I had to stop talking about Kundalini because every time I mentioned that it was being pathologised. But I, I was saying that, look, I'm not depressed. I'm, you know, this is making me very anxious. <laughs> and, I was, and then I, I was having panic attacks and stuff, but um, none of that was actually listened to um, at all. Um, eventually, after four, about four, when they thought that I was dosed up, up enough with anti-psychotics anti um, to, you know, to be no risk, because they thought I might have been a suicide risk, um, which I disagree, but I can understand why they thought that. Um, but uh, eventually, after, what, six weeks, um, I, was, I, was, I was allowed out. And then I had nightly visits by the community mental team, and that was really oppressive as well, because they would they would sit over me to make sure I took medication, um, and yeah, so it was a really bad experience, really bad experience. Right. Well, well, I'm sorry you had to experience that, and and I, I admire your courage, and you know, years later you've now you know got the Kundalini Collective going on uh, to support others, so perhaps they don't have to experience um, what you did. There's some interesting themes that came up in, in what you just shared there. Um, firstly, of course, you recognize that yeah, there the system is underfunded, and that there were some people in the field that were genuinely, you know, open-hearted and willing to try their best to support you. And so I, I just want to highlight that just because sometimes in, in the spiritual community, um, you know, Western medicine and the system can be really demonized. But just for the sake of, you know, recognizing that, you know, th there's systemic issues. And I personally do think that there's hope that there will be some shifts in in uh, paradigms and, and they're coming, especially with work like like what's going on with the Kundalini Collective, raising awareness and whatnot. So that's I just wanted to highlight that um, there's a book by Jack Cornfield. It's called uh, A Path with Heart. And in it, he describes a story of uh, a meditation center. And uh, there was a boy, maybe a teenager, I'm not sure. But anyway, he was meditating. He has a spiritual emergence, similar to what, what you experienced. And um, he comes into the hall where they're eating. And he says, I can see everyone's past lives. And he starts doing karate. He's having a genuine spiritual experience, of course, ungrounded. 
But uh, the point of that story is that the teacher recognizes because they're familiar with what this looks like. Oh, okay. This person's having a spiritual experience. No meditation. <clears throat> they just made him run 10 miles a day, I think. He had to, you know, do some work around the place, um, you know, take hot showers, this, this, these types of things. They may be getting some of the details wrong. They made him eat well. They supported him through it, right? They didn't like use experience, you know, put him in a, you know, what would be called a, a cell. Um, and so we see the distinction between the way that people are treated just with a little bit of awareness of what's happening here. Um, so, so with the Kundalini Collective, of course, your intention is to offer, you know, uh, some solace and some support for those going through these types of experiences. What are, what's the direction that you're seeing this on going into the future? And do you have any intention to change the way um, that society treats these types of uh, experiences in general? Do you see that being an impact? Like, you know, maybe some, some, some of the more uh, the medical field, academia coming on and, and recognizing, okay, there's a whole group here of, of people with their heads on their shoulders uh, from all walks of life that are talking about this. We've got to give it a little bit more attention. Do you see this having that type of impact? I personally, I do. I'm just curious if you do. Um, Sorry, Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, so the first thing I'd say is that, um, so, you know, so, so, you know, Alan's experience is what generally happens and what, what we want the Kundalini Collective to do is to give the extra space and support to people because when they go through a crisis, oh, although we don't, we recommend people going through crisis, go to the spiritual crisis network. Yeah. But um, there, when you have people who support you and who give you space to allow you to speak, who don't turn you down or tell you you're mad, I think that even if you have a week or two weeks or three weeks of that during that initial period, I think I'll carry you over. So there are now quite a few groups who are offering spaces for people who are in crisis or people who just need to begin to integrate it. And so I think the Kundalini Collective is not for crisis per se. Uh, there are places for that. We, re we recommend those places on the website. But we're there to hold space for you when you need it, because when you start on the journey of integration, it's a, it's a non-linear process. There'll be times when you're not having a great time and times we're having a great time. So we're there either which way. When you're not having a great time, you can come and you can write something or join a group or and I think we hold space for people. And if you have that space, even for an hour or two hours, that will, I think that will help you a lot for the next couple of weeks and then you can come back. So there is that. There is that. But I, I think over the last few years, uh, both Anne and myself, maybe in different ways, have been thinking about the, the wider picture. And, and, and I think that there is a, you know, there is a growing movement of people who are coming from different elements. You don't have to come from the spiritual awakening. When I say spiritual awakening, there's not just Kundalini. People are awakening in different ways. Whether you want to call it spiritual awakening or another form of awakening, they're having a realization that society is not exactly what it seems to be. And there are different forms that it takes. And people are coming to this from different perspectives, but they're coming towards the same idea, which is we need change. And the first thing I'd say is, is, is I don't think you can have a Kundalini or spiritual awakening without having some kind of social or political shift, because when you start doing work on yourself and you start to surrender to the process, 
you start making different decisions. And those decisions affect your family, your friends. And that is a social change and a social shift. So when people have it collectively, mass change can happen. And I think we're seeing it now. We're in the middle of, of some kind of awakening process. And you could call it spiritual, you could call it societal, but I think the two are the same. But to your point about academia and government, I think you can look at the work of different, there's the neuroscientists, there's psychologists in academic fields at the moment who have had spontaneous uh, Kundalini or spiritual awakenings and are writing papers about it. And I think what the next stage that we want to do, and, and I think we've been talking to the guys at uh, Wind Lightning Strikes about this, is how can we come together and begin to create social change? And one is to begin to link the academics um, and the policymakers. And, and it, it will not happen overnight. So you have to think about a structure three to five years. Um, and so Kate at Wind Lightning Strikes and myself, we happen to be filmmakers. And one of the things that we both think about is that we also started communities and we did it kind of subconsciously and so what we're thinking about is how can we take what we know and what we learned from community work and begin to use the media to affect change and i think in some ways that seems potentially i'm not going to say definitely seems the next natural step and how it manifests i don't know yet but but when you can bring media and conversations to people and, and, and I, I include academics who have gone through it themselves and who, are, who believe in it, you can begin to create social change. Um, so I think that there's going to be a three to five year movement, but we are on the fringe currently. But very quickly, I think we're going to move more towards the centre, not the centre. What does that mean practically? Well, it means if you can get uh, academia to, to from neuroscience to psychology, to physiology, to physics, to start talking about the nature of consciousness, to awakenings, what is going on. And if you can put that together in media or create content, and then if you can get mainstream media, and I'm not talking about ourselves, whether it's the New York Times, The Guardian, The Daily Mail, which I'm not a big fan of, but any anyone to, to cover it, then that's when you start creating change, because that acceptance will move the meter in a bigger way. And, and an analogy, which may or may not seem strange, is the current conversation about UAPs. Because in America, you know, as you might know, there's the Senate and uh, 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 the 26th are gonna have a, a commission about what's going on with that. It was covered by the New York Times in 2017. 60 Minutes in America covered the UAP phenomenon. There was a fringe movement 20 years ago here. And now uh, Chuck Schumacher is talking about it. Uh, Marco Rubio is talking about it like it's real. So what's just happened? Something has shifted. Um, and you know, you might have your own opinions, but I don't, I think there's something similar going on in that world and something going on in our world. And I think they're two, they're two parallel processes that are going to converge. Something's going on. They, there are many changes happening in society simultaneously. We're on one side of that and we need to move it to the center. So whether it's media, academia, community and community in different ways, this is going to happen. So, so the, those of us who've gone through the process like yourself and Alan and Kate and Gordon, other people that we know, we're all putting ourselves in places where in the next three to five years, we're going to bring things together and we're going to be there when these shifts happen. Society requires people who've gone through these changes to start to start helping. Um, how, and how, how and when that manifests, I don't know. But um, I think it's inevitable. And I think that this conversation is 
part of that process where what you're doing is as actually part of that process you're reaching hundreds or thousands of people and and that that is that, that is a change so so um so yeah the, 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 there there is a shift happening and the thing is when you're in it it's it's hard to talk about it's hard to say what's happening but in three years time we'll look back at this time 2023 or post pandemic and we'll see how things have been moved so quickly and I, I think um a pandemic was the first ontological shock there are going to be others coming and society is going to want to need help. And I think what we're doing in the, in the spiritual awakening space is we're going through our shadow to be there ready when things begin to shift. What that means, I'm not saying I understand or I know. You know, I, I always like to think political, social, not necessarily spiritual, but but something's happening and we're part of it. Um, and I'm not sure whether that answers your question, but... Oh, it really does. Yeah, it's it's very inspiring as well. Thank you. Very well said. No, I, I, I agree with that. But just just to go back to um, the initial question from, from Brent, just to I just want to just say a couple of words about um, you know like the, the psych the, the support for people going through community awakening. Um, it relates to what Samir's been saying. Um, I think there's two different aspects when it comes to support for people going through community awakening. I think the, all that you're doing, Brent, and others in making um, in just generally making more people aware of Kundalini Awakening, um, more people aware of a greater reality. Um, and there are people, say, within the Spiritual Crisis Network, for instance, I know that just uh, around sometime in July, it might have happened already, or maybe happening very soon, a couple of people are doing a pr presentation to um, the National School of, um, not psychiatrists, unfortunately, but psychologists. Um, psychologists being a bit easier to approach than psychiatrists um so i think what i'm trying to say i think it, it needs to be tackled in two aspects one chipping away increasing awareness and with psychiatrists that's difficult because still the training within psychiatry is very very reductionist and materialistic but keep banging away there um bang away with people in the mental health system systems such as psychologists um um, also community support in, in Britain there's things like the, the mind organization who could who provide lots of support in the community those organizations again are a bit more open than um, psychiatrists so on one level keep on trying to do that work with the services but the other level is then developing our own alternative support which is that community that forming community for people going through these experiences um, so, 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 so I didn't want to add that, that, that to it. Um, I just want to add, um, and uh, there's a lady called Katie Mottram who very much helped Alan during his process, and she's become a friend of mine. Alan introduced her to me and become friends. And the UK, she started a group called Emerging Proud, and it wasn't necessarily about Kundalini awakenings, it was about general spiritual awakenings, but the movement was to create change in the mental health services. And she made a lot of inroads. Uh, she's taken a pause and she's doing a, a master's now. But internationally and in the UK, she brought together people in the National Health Service, psychologists, even psychiatrists, um, just to inform them that spiritual awakening is a real phenomenon. So there are these people with different, her group's called Emerging Proud, but there are these groups that have been created all over the world. And, the, and, and, the, and in fact, when she had a spiritual awakening, what she's, you know, what she's told us is that you know, she was 
given that kind of mission, she was told, you know, you need to make change within the mental health profession because she's working in the mental profession in the mental health profession herself. So it's it, there are there are movements all around the world, ones that we do and don't know, that are looking to merge the spiritual and create change within traditional mental health professions. Um, and I think I think that change is happening. I think people are listening. Um, and maybe, well, Alan, I think, yeah, I think people are listening. I would also say that this weekend we went to a, a festival called um, Community, which is run by, run by Russell Brand. And um, what was interesting was you had these normal people from all parts of the UK and the world, and they're all leaving their traditional lives and trying to do something different and create communities. And they're merging spiritual ideas with activism and they're all on some kind of awakening process i'm not talking about spiritual awakening in a traditional way but they are you know you have men who are looking at their own masculinity and looking at being vulnerable and looking about talking about their emotions and and you know uh, pe people coming together and so you know russell brand's doing his own thing and it's not, not what we're doing but i don't think it's too dissimilar i think they're groups forming and they're trying to make social change in different ways. And it's all part of a, of a wider awakening process. And it, it may seem fringe now, but actually it's gonna be mainstream in, in, in three to five years. Um, you know, what, one thing we saw this uh, guy called Satish Kumar, a very interesting an old activist. And he talked about activism uh, with no objective. You know, if you're gonna be an activist, be an activist but don't be an activist to have to, to be attached to the outcome be it because you embody that activism and i think that's that's that is what a spiritual awakening is when you work through your shadow it brings you to a place where you embody a position and, and work and you let go of the outcome and you just need to do the work and so you know he, he satish wasn't coming from the spiritual awakening and he may have had one himself but he was just talking to everyone everyone in, in, in the community festival, normal people, and they understood, you know, if you're going to be an activist, you're going to make social change, work on yourself and try not to have an attachment to the outcome. And I think ultimately that's what we're all doing from different ways, whether it's Kundalini spiritual, societal awakening. We're all trying to make social change and come to that point where the inside and the outside are connected. We change ourselves, we change the outside and vice versa. Right. Oh, incredible. Yes, this, this gives a, a, a lot of hope for the future, but at the same time, a, a lot of responsibility as well for us all. Um, I like what Alan said, especially about creating alternative means of support. So rather than solely relying on, you know, the institution to acknowledge this, which of course I think will come like Samir, you're saying, I think we're making a lot of headway on those fronts, but, but why can't, why, why can't we create our own alternative means of support? Like what you've done with the Kundalini collective. Um, I think out of all the people that I've talked to, I think the number one way of supporting one another is not by energy healing or giving advice. Even it's just by listening. It's just by relating. Like you guys started, you know, over pizza, just having a conversation and knowing that there are others out there going through this, that makes it so much easier for us to trust in the organic unfolding of this, the, the wisdom of our body.
just knowing that other people are going through it. It's um, it's incredible to see how all of this is coming together um, so quickly. But I really love your point there, Samir, of putting a bit of a timeline on it, three to five years. It's grounded then. We have a bit of a roadmap, not necessarily how to go there, but a bit of a timeline for how long it'll take. Give us a little bit of, um, you know, sometimes you you might, it feels like we're just, in the midst of like, uh, you know, it's just happening. We don't really know where it's going. But if we look at it in the way you described, we zoom out a bit. Okay, yeah, I can see in three, four years, some significant shifts will happen for sure. I could see that. And it's inspiring. I feel more encouraged to keep going with this work. So thank you. Thank you both for that. So as we come to wrap up here, I want to invite everybody to check out the Kundalini Collective. Um, can you mention again briefly what your offerings are? I know that you've got Zoom meetings, in-person meetings. Can you can you give some some links out? Of course, everything will be in the description. So the, the website is kundalini.org.uk. Um, not dot, um, there's a kundalini yoga collective. Sorry, kundaliniclective.org.uk. The org is important. Otherwise, there's a yoga yoga uh, website. Um, so um we're offering the website itself as a resource so we encourage members to act, to post on the website to put for those that feel able to put their stories to put recommendations their own recommendations for um books videos and so, and so forth we have a section on, on create creativity um because i think for, for samir and myself and for others creativity is part of the process um, we have um, the face-to-face -face meetups every few months in, in London um, and we have the podcasts um, and also um, over the last few months we've been developing um, a, a support page so as Samir has already mentioned if someone's in a crisis to go to the spiritual crisis network and there's a link to the spiritual crisis network because we're not really a crisis organization we're a group group we're a support group um but we also have a list of people um a number of who who are members of the collective um who can who've all been through completely um who's all going through the process completely pro process who can offer an array of one-to-one -one support so for one person that's literally just a a session where someone can just talk to this person for a session and then it, it there's a ray of support including um those which goes into like psychotherapy and so forth um and then there are references to people such as you mentioned craig holiday um and we're aiming to to grow that list um because i think um having that informed one to support one to one support is is really important and that we believe in peer support support but we you know also believe in you know giving people options for whatever support they find most appropriate for themselves so there's that on the site as well um to me have i what have i missed out yeah it should also mention that the, the, the support some of which is free so some people are offering free support some people are because it's their it's their business you know, they're charging for it and some people are qualified psychotherapists who've also had kundalini awakening so it's a range of different support but one thing we should also mention, which is why it's free, 
is that when you know a lot of people can't work when they're going through a Kundalini experience and everything is we're trying to offer as much as possible as for free uh, so that people don't have to worry about paying because we understand that that's a problem when you're going through the awakening process so with the support you can pay for it or some people are offering it for free um, but the idea is is like the NHS in the UK is going to be free at the point of access we're trying to make the Kundalini collective as much as possible free at the point of access people can access it um, and you know we, we run by donation only um, so so you know we hope we're covering as many bases as we can but as Alan said that the the more content that's put on the website the more resources there'll be for future so we encourage people to 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 write or add content as much as they can and Brent we I want to invite you to write a blog because we need more blogs and they've really posted on there but um please and if you want to blog more blog more but uh please yeah. add, add content as, as much as you want Oh, great. I, I appreciate the invite. Yeah, I'd be happy to uh, to see what uh, I'm inspired to write about. Yeah, I was reading some of the blogs on the Kundalini Collective website. I uh, I was shared a blog by uh, Joe DeRiso about his awakening, and that's how I connected with him for a conversation. Um, it'll be on, it's, it's on my channel uh, if you look in the, uh, the history there. And that, that was a great uh, conversation as well. There's a lot of, you know, really evolved people that are part of the movement sharing and um, connecting on the forums. Of course, you've also got your YouTube channel with uh, your podcast interviews, similar to the format that, uh, that I, I've got here. And, and there's a lot of wisdom in those um, as well. And I'll, I'll link uh, the, 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 your channel in the description for others to check out as well. Um, and of course, Alan's story uh, is on the channel for, for those that are interested in going a little deeper. Um, so, could I add uh, one thing? If yeah, Joe wants, please. Joe, Joe wants to start an American meetup group, and America's obviously a big place. So, so on on the on the website is posted just an idea for for the Americans if they want to create a meetup group, whether it's a state or whether it's I don't know with a country. So, I encourage your listeners and yourself just to, to just to respond to Joe's post because in the UK is a small island obviously so it's maybe easier for us to meet up but there is this benefit of meeting people in person so if you guys can get together and, and meet up somewhere I think you really benefit from it great yeah so please uh please uh, if there are people out there that are feeling the call to uh you know continue this this trajectory towards bringing awareness of Kundalini supporting one another in the states yeah check out uh, Joe's post on the Kundalini collective as well, can you give us a little bit more information about your in-person meetups? Where are they generally held? Um, what can people expect? How can people connect connect with you if they're interested? Yeah, so um, they're, they're, well, they're, they're now um, the last Friday of each month uh, at seven o'clock UK. No, hang on, Alan. Oh, this is the in-person the in-person meetups. Also, the in-person. Sorry, I still got the Zoom. Yeah. Sorry, no problem. So the Zoom meetings are once a month. Uh, you said the last Friday? Last Friday of the month, seven o'clock UK time. Okay, and, and it's free to join? You accept uh, donations? Yep. Okay, yep. great, great. So uh, hopefully people uh, can, can join on Zoom and share. But then, of course, you do also offer the in-person meetings as well. Can you give us some details about that? So, so um, what were that? They're on a more ad hoc basis every few months. What what we do is we 
post it in the forum uh, on uh, in the Kundalini Collective um, sort of projects uh, activity, and also um, we do a monthly newsletter um, towards the end of each month, and we publicise the face to face meetups in that as well. Uh, um, we should add the next meetups mm. on August fifth, uh, Saturday, August the fifth, at two p.m. UK time. We meet in Hyde Park um, near a station called Lancaster Gates. And uh, so the next one is August the 5th, August the 5th, 2 p.m. Hyde Park near Lancaster Gate Station. And it's on the website in the event section. And it's probably every three months. I mean, it's not exactly every three months. We try to have three or four times a year a meetup. Great, great. Yes, I was in touch with uh, somebody that was uh, uh, attending the meetings and she got back to me and said it was it was a great experience. And, and um, of course, uh, I'm on the other side of the uh, ocean but uh maybe one day I'll, I'll find myself uh in the uk and things will line up and um, we can meet in person but you know meeting over zoom today has been great it really has been i appreciate both of you for sharing your stories well uh, uh, the short segments of of your stories that you shared um of course i, I just want to recognize that you, you know you both have years and years of experience and i'm sure we glossed over some things and some key themes were left out but for those who are interested in following along with the kundalini collective i'm sure more and more of your stories and wisdom and insight will will be teased out over time so with that said i invite everybody to check out everything in the description alan samir thank you so much for the work that you're doing with the kundalini collective for your courage for your your willingness to support one another and and you know I, I I really really appreciate having you know fellow travelers on this journey with me um you know sometimes it, 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 it I can still feel a little crazy so connecting with the two of you I I feel grounded and, and validated and I'm sure others will as well so to all those listening out there thank you so much for spending time with Alan and Samir and I check out the Kundalini Collective and until next time much love and peace.